The reading this morning is from 2 Samuel chapter 13 verses 1 to 22 and is on page 316 of the Church Bibles. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now Amnon had an advisor named Jonadab, son of Shemir, David's brother. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He asked Amnon, Why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Go to bed and pretend to be ill, Jonadab said. When your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so that I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight, so that I may eat it from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace, Go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his sight and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread, but he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said. So everyone left him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food here into my bedroom, so that I may eat it from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, Come to bed with me, my sister. No, my brother, she said to him, Don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. Amnon said to her, Get up and get out. No, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you have already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant and said, Get this woman out of my sight and bolt the door after her. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. She was wearing an ornate robe, for this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. When King David heard all this, he was furious. And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. 
He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, open our ears that we may hear your word. Open our eyes that we may see your world. Open our minds that we may understand your ways. And open our hearts that we may receive your love. May your word to us today instruct us, guide us in the way we should go, and may my words be true to yours. For Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. This is a harrowing story. So what can we note from it? Let's note, first of all, that it is a story of our time. Verse 1 says, In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. And verse 14, Since... He was stronger than her. He raped her. And it opens a window for us in our day onto the spirit of our age where women no longer are remaining silent in the face of the continual sexual misconduct from men. In the course of time, Harvey Weinstein and the Me Too movement has brought things into the open in a new way. In the course of time, Prince Andrew, a member of our own royal palaces, is implicated in sexual collusion and misconduct with minors following the Jeffrey Epstein suicide in prison on sexual abuse charges. And there are those who would not want to hear about it and wish that Virginia Guffrey would keep quiet and perhaps wish that I had not mentioned it. Note too, that it's a story told. That's a remarkable thing in itself. The telling of this story is not the main point of why it's written. 2 Samuel is a book that is concerned about the kingship of God's people and how they are governed from the royal palaces. Uh, And the book is is actually telling the story of why the first three eldest sons of King David failed to receive the kingship. This story is one of those reasons. But the telling of this story is incidental to that larger story of the kingship of Israel. This kingship eventually comes to Solomon, who is the great king after David, But the rape of Tamar is incidental to that theme. So perhaps the first thing we should note and come to terms with is that this event happened in the royal palaces. And if it hadn't done, it would not have been told. If it had been anyone else, it would be just another untold story. Just one amongst many. 
of no significance. But because it is told, it becomes representative of all the untold stories. 20% of women and 4% of men have experienced some kind of sexual assault against them since the age of 16. 3.1% of women now aged between 18 and 24 report having experienced sexual assault in their childhood. Sorry, uh, sorry, 31% of women report that. 3.1% of women experienced uh, sexual assault in the last year. These figures come from Rape, uh, Rape Crisis England and Wales. It's estimated that 34 million women in our country have experienced some kind of sexual assault since the age of 16. And 85,000 of them experienced rape or attempted rape in the last year. Only 15% of them report it to the police. Their story is not told, not even by them. And so Tamar speaks for the many, and we should listen carefully. Then note where it happened. It happened in the royal palaces in Tamar's own home, in her household. Verse 8 says, Tamar went to the house of her brother, Amnon. She was the daughter of King, uh, King David. She's the sis- half-sister of Amnon, the full sister of uh, uh, Absalom, who takes her in in the end, and the cousin of Jonadab, who advises Amnon in his wicked plan. This should have been the place of safety, where she could live free from fear, but tragically not, and tragically not for many young women uh, and girls, young girls and women. They're vulnerable in their own homes to the greater power and the strength of the people around them. My own daughter speaks to me of the low-level fear that she feels as a woman when she's walking alone in the street. Something that is there all the time for her that I have never experienced. Not because the streets are dark, necessarily, They are sometimes, they're not on others. Not because the streets are violent, necessarily. But just because she is a woman. And things happen to women on the streets that don't happen to men. And what happens to the women on the streets is perpetrated by men. Strangers who they have never met. And we might think then that the danger is out there in the strange, in the dark places, amongst the people they don't know that a woman is most vulnerable, but apparently not. Not so. The statistics tell us that 93% of sexual abuse is perpetrated by somebody known to the victim, and most often in their own home. This is indeed the place of Tamar's vulnerability, her own household. But then we need to note too the culture of collusion 
that appears in this palace. Amnon is helped in his wickedness. His cousin Jonadab devises the plan in verse 5. He says, Go to bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so that I may watch her and then eat from her hand. Jonadab doesn't even need to finish saying what he means. The meaning is well understood and Amnon puts it into practice. And when King David hears these words, there's no challenge from him. No rebuke, no questioning of the motive. Doesn't it sound a little bit odd to him? Doesn't the request to be able to watch the girl preparing the food in his own sight sound as if there's an inappropriate motive? You see, King David has already set the culture of his household. He bedded Bathsheba. He got uh, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, killed on account of it. David has already entered into the corruption of adultery and murder. And Amnon, his son, the next in line for the kingship, has learned that if that's what his father, the king, can do, then why couldn't he? And now David colludes with the evil intent of Amnon, sending Tamar to him, not asking the question. David sent word to Tamar in verse 7, go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare the food for him. David is right there with Jonadab in this conspiracy, but it gets worse. Because when they're in the room and Tamar is there, verse 9 uh, Amnon sends everybody out of here, he says, and everybody leaves him. Did no one think? Did no one understand? Of course they did. And they left Tamar to their fate, to her fate. No one said or did anything to save her. They turned away and they pretended not to see. And all the chief protagonists are men with power. All the attendants fail to challenge it. The abuse is in the very culture of the palace. And the base power of Amnon aside from his position as next in line to the throne, was his physical strength. Verse 11, when she took him to eat, uh, to eat the food, he grabbed her and he said, come to bed with me, my sister. And she protested. And since, verse 14, he was stronger than she, he raped her. The strength of men, men who are husbands, men who are fathers, the strength of men... Well, if we have any unique role in the household, it's to make a place of safety for our wives and for our children. Our strength is for protection, for instilling confidence and not fear. And our voice is to speak, to speak loud enough 
to be heard, speaking so that minors are protected and women in their physical vulnerability can go about freely in the home, in the workplace, in the church, in the streets. Because by keeping silent, by pretending not to see, we all too easily become part of the culture of collusion. Note the godlessness of Amnon's behavior. We're told in verse 1 that Amnon fell in love with, da- uh, sorry, with David, with Tamar. Amnon, the son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. She was his half-sister. David had several wives. And in verse 2, it goes on, he was so obsessed with his sister Tamar, that he made himself ill, lovesick, you might say. But actually, not love at all. What he experienced was something called cathexis. That's a Greek word. It means uh, the concentration of emotional and mental energy on a person. Uh, It's that moment, if you can remember what it was like, when we say we are falling in love, head over heels in it, not really able to make proper rational decisions because you're all taken up with the other person, you don't know where you end and they start. It's not love. It's the passions of first encounter. Love either begins or ends, or doesn't begin, when cathexis ends when there's a more rational and level-headed approach to the relationship, that's when we know whether we are in love. When either you stick together or you don't. But Amnon, in his cathexis, is godless, both in his intent and in his conduct. Tamar was a, a virgin princess, and virgin princesses were housed in the palace away from free association Uh, with other people. The only male contact they were allowed was with members of their own family. And so Amnon sees her from afar and he pines for her. It's against all Jewish law because that forbids sexual relations between a brother or a sister or half-brother and sister. So his intention was against God's word. But also... His intention is against God in what he does. She protests in verse 13, says to Amnon, what about me? Where could I get rid of my shame? What about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. And the word fool in Israel is not a small word. The fool in Israel was a godless person. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Verse 14, uh, Psalm 14. To have sex with your sister, even your half-sister, is a godless act and should not be done in Israel amongst God's people. The people who are there precisely to live by the values of the kingdom of God. To be a fool in Israel means you have abandoned the ways of God. And the godless of it all works out 
in his disregard for Tamar as a person. He doesn't love her. He wants to have sex with her. Love, I heard it on the radio this morning, is telling someone they are precious. And Tamar clearly is not precious to Amnon. She has no say in the matter. Three times she says no in verse 12. No, my brother, she said to him, don't force me. Don't do this wicked thing. Verse 14, but he refused to listen to her. His desire for sex made her an object. The male gaze turns women into objects. And the objectification of women leads to sexual violence. Because the truth is that a beautiful woman who is unobtainable by a man makes him, can make him very angry. It's like a taunt to him. See, though she is beautiful and most desirable to him, it's apparent that he is not desirable to her. And that can wound a man's pride very much. I'm a man speaking to you about this. No means no. But I do find verses 12 to 14 very difficult to read because I'm not sure that I have always accepted the first no to mean it. How often have I tried a second time? And as soon as Amnon has his way, his infatuation turns to hatred for Tamar. The object he desired became the object that condemned him. He hates her because in the instant of committing his sin, he hates himself. We know that so often happens, particularly with sexual sin. The desire to do it is so strong. But as soon as it's done, there's self-loathing. And often the self-loathing gets projected outwards to the thing that we desired. Outward in violence. Get up and get out, he says to her. And she protests again. So he says to his servant, get this woman out of my sight. And he bolts the door after her. Now, in the Hebrew text, which it was written in, the word woman doesn't appear. Get this out of my sight and bolt the door after her. Get this object away from me. Get this thing of loathing that condemns me away. This story that no man should read without feeling uncomfortable and because it, should make us, it makes us feel uncomfortable, we should be reading it all the more. And Tamar is shamed in all of this. 
This is Tamar, dutifully obedient to her father, King David. She does what she's asked to do. She was true to the word of God. Such a thing ought not to be done in Israel. Verse 12. In uh, verse 18, we know that she is dressed, wearing an ornate robe, for this is the kind of garment that the virgin daughters of the king wore. Dressed according to her status. The truth is, however she was dressed, she did not invite what happened to her. She is completely innocent. She's faithful to her honour in refusing and the honour even of her assailant after the assault. No, she says to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you have already done to me. See, a raped woman in those days had very little options. She had the right to be married by her assailant if she was willing, or at least to his future protection. But she is doubly wronged. She is raped and she is bolted out from what should be rightfully hers. And in her trauma, she laments. She refuses to be silent about it. She demonstrates her shame, tearing her robe, her robe of status, wearing ashes, not caring what she looks like, wailing loudly, letting the people know her traumas. But still she comes up against the conspiracy of silence. Her brother, Absalom, he knows what's happened without being told. Does that mean he was part of the conspiracy or the uh, collusion as well? Then he says those terrible words that have oppressed, abused women for centuries. Be quiet now. Don't take this thing to heart. Just don't talk about it. I don't want to hear. And we all know, don't we, about the conspiracy of silence that surrounded Jimmy Savile. We all know now about the conspiracy of silence that surrounded Harvey Weinstein. We know that mothers have refused to listen to their daughters about what has been happening to them by another family member. We know that pastors have refused to hear the congregation members about what church leaders have been and are doing. Well, we must hear. We must We must hear the voice of Tamar and all those like her who have been wronged. However painful it is. And what we need to listen to most of all is the last part of verse 20. The last part. And Tamar lived in her brother's house, Absalom's house, a desolate woman. People who have been sexually abused bear the wounds that never heal. There is always desolation. However well they learn to live with it, they never live without it. However well they learn to live with it, they never live without it. Tamar's shame embodied 
the shame of her attacker in a most unjust way. There is no justice for someone who has experienced what she did. And by the end of the chapter, Absalom has killed his brother Amnon. But the final and defining word for Tamar is that she is in her brother's house, a desolate woman. Our church community and our homes are to be safer places where strength and power is used to benefit and bless people. And that's why the church asks us to engage with safer uh, practices, with safeguarding awarenesses, so that we create a culture of awareness of the things that happen, so that there is no collusion in the church for such dreadful things. We're creating a culture of safety and freedom. One of the ways, the striking things, that uh, the way this story is told, that there seems to be in the scripture a lack of moral judgment. It gives us the facts, but it makes no pronouncement about it. It just moves on. And I don't think that the writer didn't have a judgment or that God didn't have a judgment. I'm sure they did. But I think we are given through this scripture the dignity of entering into this story and of shaping our minds according to the righteousness of Christ. Of looking at this story as if we're looking at a mirror and seeing something of ourselves in it. Where are we in it? Who are we really like? And when we see ourselves determining that we should never be part of the collusion where such things can happen, never being part of the conspiracy of silence where we won't allow it to be spoken of, of listening more intently to those who know the desolation that will be with them always. And through all this story, the voice and the innocence and the anguish of Tamar is to be heard. The writer allows her voice to be heard where her brother Absalom didn't. She expresses her grief and her anger and her horror at what has happened to her. And God allows it too. And in allowing that anguish to be expressed, God draws close to the brokenhearted. Let us be a place where the anguish cry of the unjust, uh, of the innocent against unjust assault may be heard without trying to make it better or to close it down. Let us dwell in the presence of God. There will be people here at the end of the service to listen 
and to pray if you feel able uh, to bring such concerns to them. They will also gladly pray for any other circumstance you have on this day, but this is a dominating theme for the morning. Amen.